Thanks, Jim. Uh, let's uh, dismiss our kids uh, this morning. Uh, so if you're uh, K through third grade kids, uh, the McCabe's are on the second activity this morning. And they're going to take your kids to <coughs> uh, the kids' classroom. While the kids are being dismissed, uh, just want to uh, draw your attention to this uh, gift, uh, gift card, no, guest card. <coughs> Uh, if you're new here or uh, have a prayer request, please f- feel free to fill one of these out and drop them off back in the, at the hospitality desk or kiosk, uh, and we'll be more than happy to connect with you, send you more information, or even pray with you. We'd consider it a privilege, actually, to pray with you for what's on your heart. Uh, if you don't have a card, you can scan the QR code that's in front of you, and it uh, should take you to the same form, same for the folks that are online. So. <coughs> Uh, please do that um, for us. Um, for those that don't know me, uh, I'm Stanley. I serve as one of the elders here at Redeemer. Uh, and so if you're uh, disappointed to see me, Shannon will be back next week. Uh, <laughs> he is uh, loitering around somewhere in uh, London, I think. And so he'll be back next, uh, he'll be back in the pulpit next week. So, But we've been <coughs> walking through a series on uh, our core values uh, which Shannon started last week, and so uh, this week we're going to pick up on, uh, continue with that s- in that series and look at uh, biblical literacy. And so core values, if you um, are not familiar uh, here at Redeemers, are essentially kind of the key values that we consider important for the health of our church. Essentially, that's what we value and what we prioritize. <coughs> it drives all of our programming uh, here at Redeemer. It drives all of the events that we do. And uh, and all of the activities that we uh, do here at Redeemer. So, uh, and if you're new to Redeemer and, or you're not familiar with it, I think we did a core value series two years ago, I think, right, uh, right as COVID hit in 2020. So, um, but it's been a little bit before we've, uh, since we've covered it. But if you're not familiar with it, here are the six core values uh, of Redeemer. Uh, first is gospel centrality, which is what uh, Shannon covered yesterday. Uh, biblical literacy is the second one. Uh, which is what we're going to cover today, meaningful membership, um, intentional discipleship, missional community, and plural leadership. And so we'll cover these six, or the, or, uh, the rest of them, uh, starting today and for the rest of the few weeks that are leading up to the summer. So, <coughs> like I mentioned, I have the task of talking about gospel centrality. So that's what we, l- excuse me, gospel centrality is what was covered last week. And so if you missed that, uh, it's on the on our website. And um, Feel free to check that out and kind of catch up on the series. Today we're going to cover biblical literacy. We talk about biblical literacy. What exactly are we talking about? Um, so biblical literacy, if I had to define it, is basically being well-versed enough with a Bible that it shapes your view of reality. Right? It's being well-versed enough with a Bible that it shapes your view of reality. It's in the past, I think the word that's been used is worldview. I don't think a lot of people know what that is, apparently. So I like to use this word of reality. Essentially, that's what it is, right? Uh, basically, our worldview, our view of reality. So here at Redeemer, we believe that if your biblical literacy is critical um, in how you grow as a Christian, we f- believe it's important that the Bible shapes your worldview and that that is a critical foundation uh, in your Christian walk. So it enables us as believers not only to grow, but also to uh, make an impact in the world around us. So in light of that, that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, We're going to look at three whys of biblical literacy. Why is biblical literacy important? And a couple of hows on 
uh, how we can pursue this as, core, uh, as, as believers. So we're going to begin this morning by looking at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 14 through 17. Uh, we're going to use this text as our anchor this morning, but I am uh, one of the benefits of having a topical series is you get to roam around the Bible a little bit. So I, I will be doing a little bit of that this morning, but so hang with me. But we're going to spend more time, our, our bulk of our time here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. <coughs> um, here's where Paul writes to Timothy in his letter to Timothy. He says, verse 14 says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and ha- have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This is probably a uh, familiar verse that often kind of comes along when people talk about the Bible. But here, uh, just to point out a few pieces, Paul commends Timothy for knowing the scriptures as a child. Essentially, that's what he begins this uh, passage with. And he then reinforces the role of the Bible or the role that the Bible should play in not only Timothy's life as a pastor, but also in his congregation, uh, in, the, in the church that he's pastoring. But if you were to back up to verse 14 or kind of look at the first verse of this passage, Paul gives uh, the single instruction, a uh, single instruction to Timothy. If you look at verse 14, what does he, what does he say? Continue, right? He says, but it's for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. And so if you look at this passage, that's the only instruction that Paul gives Timothy, is to continue in God's word. Continue in what, the, what he had learned from the scriptures. And so, uh, the, uh, the word that Paul uses for continue uh, in the Greek is called meno, um, a little bit of Greek here. Meno essentially basically or essentially means to dwell or abide or to remain, right? Uh, we've, you've probably, uh, if, you, if I substitute those words, you can probably think of a lot of verses in the Bible that kind of talk about abiding and remaining. Um, and one that's pretty popular is when Jesus in the Gospels talks about abiding in him, right? Remember the wine and the branches, you know, I'm the wine, you're the branches, abide in me so that you can be fruitful. And so this is the same word that Paul is using here to instruct Timothy to abide in the scriptures. Uh, And he gives him three whys, as we see in this passage, three whys of why Timothy must continue or abide or remain in the scriptures. So if we're taking notes, here's the first one. Uh, Timothy is to abide in God's word because the Bible is able to give us wisdom that leads to salvation. The Bible is able to give us wisdom that leads to salvation. So this is what uh, Paul says in um, verse 15. He says, the second part of that says, which they are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Wisdom that leads to salvation. Um, I don't know about you, but I know I could use more wisdom in my life, right? Um, the, uh, remember, Paul here is talking to Timothy, uh, who is a believer himself and is, is pastoring this church that Tim Paul is writing to. And so it's kind of strange that Paul's talking about salvation, right? In our circles, typically, uh, you think of salvation in a more of a narrow sense. It's salvation as in conversion or giving your life to Jesus. 
But here Paul's, uh, if you look at the Bible and how it uses the word salvation, it actually is a lot broader, right? Uh, actually, if you look at the first occurrence of the word uh, salvation, it actually appears in Exodus when the children of Israel are uh, delivered from Pharaoh and, the, and his armies and they escape through the Red Sea and they show up at the other side and they have the song that is recorded in Exodus. Uh, and that's the first place we see the word salvation appear. And, it, and they use it in the sense of deliverance. Right? It could be deliverance from sin, my past life, from darkness. It could also mean deliverance from the temptations that we face, de deliverance from the struggles and sins that we wrestle with. So just going to want to point that out, that salvation here is used more broadly. And Paul is saying here that the word of God or God's uh, or the scriptures is able to give us wisdom that leads to salvation, to lead, that leads to deliverance. Uh, the other word I want to unpack real quick is the word uh, wisdom. Um, I'm not going to be able to talk about everything that the Bible talks about wisdom, but I think it is an important word uh, for us to kind of focus on here. And I uh, want to spend some extra time kind of looking at unpacking that word for us this morning. So uh, depending on what circles you spend your time uh, in, wisdom has a lot of different connotations, right? Um, you know, it's used in, uh, in a lot of different ways, but the Bible has a specific or a particular take on, on wisdom. Uh, so let's look at that real quick. Um, if you... Um, we, uh, we live in a neighborhood that has an HOA, um, and I don't want to tell you how I feel about HOAs, but um, HOAs, uh, you know, I feel like they have a moral code that you have to follow to live there, right? And it says, you know, do this, don't do this. Um, you know, probably shouldn't be telling you this, but I, almost every, all of it, I have asked for an exception for all of them, because someone's like, this doesn't make sense. I am not keeping my trash can in my garage. That is for my car. The $20,000 car that I have, not the five free trash can that I got from Worthy. Anyways, all different <laughs> stories. So, um, the, uh, but, uh, but, but, the, our H to, but to participate in the HOA, to live in the neighborhood, I am to follow these rules, right? Same thing with other religions, right? If you look at Islam, for example, it tells you exactly how many times you need to pray and how you need to pray. The Bible does not give you those specific instructions. It tells you to pray but that leaves it up to you on how to think about praying. What, what are some boundaries that we need to think about? How do we pray? How do we engage in prayer? And so a lot of times as believers, or as, as we think about, as people that follow the Bible as a, a core value, we need to think about how we interpret it, how, we, uh, how it shapes our lives. And one of the things that we need for that is wisdom. Is wisdom. And so uh, when the Bible, while the Bible does not give us specific rules on how we should parent, how, how, who should we marry, how should we handle our finances, or how, how, what investments should we make. It does talk about how we should handle our finances, but what investments uh, we should make. It rather gives us a framework to think about these questions. Okay? It gives us the gospel and says, look at all of these areas in your life through the gospel, the truth of the gospel. And I think the main reason, uh, and you have to take my word for this, is I think God uh, has laid out that arrangement for us because he's not interested in our compliance with him like other religions or my HOA is uh, interested in, but rather he's interested in my character development. He's interested in who I am becoming under his rule, who I am becoming as a believer. And so because of that, God has set up our world um, uh, or set up our world in a way that he would like for us to develop wisdom by trusting in him. 
So he starts telling us what to do. He says, develop wisdom by trusting in me so you know how to arrange your life, how to manage your life, how to rule over your life. Um, so let me, let me kind of, uh, so that's wisdom. It's kind of this tension that we are not told exactly how to do things, but God says, trust me, and I will make you wise. I will develop you into the kind of person that's able to uh, t- uh, do the things that I'm asking you to do. Uh, so uh, hang with me for a second as I make this point or I kind of set up this point. Uh, if you go to back to the beginning of the Bible, uh, to the first pages of Genesis, we see God creates Adam and Eve, right? And he says, here, have dominion over this. I mean, dominion, it's an interesting word, but really just means rule over these things. So God as a ruler has created the, has created the cosmos and he creates Eden and puts Adam and Eve in there and says, rule over this. And because we are created in the image of God, God asks us to follow after him in this respect. So we think about what does it mean for us, Adam and Eve, to be created in the image of God? And there's theologians have spent a lot of time discussing this, and I won't go into that, all of that. But one aspect of it is to think of uh, us imaging God in the respect of how he rules or the function that he plays. We image God in the function that we play as rulers because he is the ruler over everything. He has given us responsibility, and we are to image, uh, be his images and rule over the areas of life that he has given us responsibility over. So we, uh, so that's essentially what Genesis 1 and 2 uh, kind of lays out for us. We, we're doing this with our children. Lindsay and I are doing this with uh, our, our kids. You know? We are teaching our four-year-old of how to rule over his body, right? Or how to rule over his bodily functions, also known as potty training, right? Right, essentially what we're trying to do. What are we trying to do? We're trying to teach him to take responsibility of, hey, you're responsible for this. Rule over it. For, it depends on the day how we feel like we're doing. But um, at four years old, we feel like it should be farther than we are at. But he's getting there. But that's essentially what we're doing. It's, that's essentially what parenting looks like, isn't it? We ask our kids or teach our kids to rule over their emotions, their desires, their bodies, the stuff that we give them. Rule over it. Take care of it. Be a good steward. Um, be a good stu- steward of it. And essentially, that's what we're asking them to do. And essentially, God asks us, quote-unquote, grown-ups to do the same thing. Rule over the things that he's given us, our jobs, our families, the uh, resources that he's given us, our desires, our emotions. These are all things that God has given us to rule over. And it's important that we understand that and understand that dynamic that God has uh, called us to. So go back to Genesis, God puts two trees in the middle of this garden. Not only does he ask them to rule, but he asks them to, uh, he gives some specific instructions about these two trees. What are the two trees? Tree of life and tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Two trees. Why two trees? Why do we see two trees in the garden? Well, it's, it was Adam and Eve's test to figure out if and how they were going to rule. They could rule in two ways. One, be obedient to God's command and only eat of the one tree, which is the tree of life, or take matters into their own hand and rule in their own ways and allow their desire to rule over them, which is to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This is what, this was the choice that God put in front of Adam and Eve, basically. He says, choose between living by God's standards or living by your own desires. Uh, but the Bible Project Guys, which is one of the uh, popular um, podcasts, kind of describes it this way. I really like how they describe it. It says, the tree of knowledge 
of good and evil, uh, excuse me, of good and bad, illuminates the human experience and places a choice, uh, and places a choice for each of us. Will we trust God to give us life, or will we take life for ourselves? That's the choice that Adam and Eve are given, and that's the choice that we're all given as rulers. We're called to rule over what God has given us to rule over. Like I mentioned, our jobs, our bodies, our money, our families, we're all, these are all areas that we have been given uh, say over, to, to, to rule over and, and care for. Um, and some of us have more things to rule over than others, like my four-year-old versus me. But we're all called to be, become the kinds of people that can rule in God's image. So, so kind of summarizing, one is a wise choice and the other one's not. One's a wise choice and the other one's not. And this tension between learning to live by God's standards versus learning to let our uh, desires rule us is the tension that our Christians constantly face and the, what the Bible is going to help us uh, think about and manage. Uh, because the Bible, I mean, we see in Genesis uh, what happens when Adam and Eve decides to let their desires rule over them. Right? We see death. We see destruction as Adam and Eve listens or is obedient more to the serpent than God. And, and kind of that legacy continues. As soon as they're uh, expelled from the garden, we see Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain is, is jealous for his, of his brother and he wants to take revenge on, his, revenge on his brother. And God says, that desire for revenge will, is crouching at your door. It will devour you if you don't master it. What is God asking Cain to do is to, is to submit his desire for revenge under God's rule, under God's way of doing things, under God's vision for reality. But he decides otherwise, he kills his brother and receives death and separation. Relational separation just continue to uh, spread through humanity. So that's one picture of what it looks like when human beings make unwise choices. What, what does the picture look like when human beings, brothers and sisters, men and women, choose to pursue the wisdom that comes from, from God? When they learn to submit their desires to what God calls them to do. What does their life look like? Well, there's a couple of pictures that we see uh, in the Bible. That pattern is repeated over and over again. Um, I want us to look at two places this morning. I don't have the verses up there, but I have the reference. So if you want to jump it in your Bible, feel free to do that. But we're going to be in Psalm 1 uh, for, for a few minutes. So Psalm 1, chapter verses 1 to 3. Um, in Psalm 1, the psalmist records that blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Why is he a blessed man? We see in verse 2, because his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That is somebody who is biblically literate, somebody who has allowed the scriptures to shape their view of reality. This person that's described here has put the scriptures in front of their minds, allowing it to shape their own lives, allowing to shape their own desires, allowing them to shape their reality. And what is the picture that the psalmist paints for this person? As opposed to how, um, as opposed to the picture that um, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel paints for us, it is in verse 3. It says, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, 
and in all that he does, he prospers. And so the, this, this person that is uh, allowing the scriptures to shape him or shape, excuse me, the view of reality uh, is, is uh, flourishing. It's yielding its fruit. It, it's rooted. It's uh, prospering. That's the picture that we see that is in contrast to the death and the destruction that happens when our desires rule over us. And this is the picture that the psalmist is painting for us. I won't go uh, to the rest of that passage in, in Psalm 1, but you can read because this, this uh, blessed man is compared to the chaff or the wicked person, somebody who has nothing uh, to offer, something that, somebody that is useless, something that has no life, something that is dead, something that is not rooted anywhere. They're just floundering. This is the contrast that the scriptures paint for us. The other passage I want to look at real quick here in, in, in conjunction to where we can see a pattern of what it means for somebody or what happens when somebody uh, allowing the scriptures to shape their world. What does that look like? We see that in Proverbs 3. In uh, Proverbs 3, again, it's a, it's a long chapter, so I'm not going to go through all of it. But if you have your Bibles, I'm going to point through specific verses that I think paint this picture for us of what it means for somebody that has submitted their desires to God. It says, the writer in Proverbs says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. In verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. As graduation season comes up, I'm sure this verse is going to be in a lot of cards. Um, as we tell our young folks, as they kind of go into the world, was college or the job market is to trust not in your trust in the Lord, not in your own understanding. Um, it didn't do much good for me at that stage, but I, you know, it it, it is it is uh, I I have since realized its importance in my own life. But uh, the the writer in Proverbs says um, it keeps writing in uh, verse five, which is what we just read. Verse seven says, "Be not wise in your own eyes; fear the Lord. Turn away from evil." It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Come to verse 13. He says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. And verse 15 says, she's more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Remember, desire uh, gets a bad rap in all circles, but... Uh, desire is not bad. It was created by God uh, for our own uh, benefit and for, for, for our own nourishment. So de desire is good. It keeps us alive. It keeps us going. But what happens or the tension that the writer is painting here is when desire rules us as, us, uh, as opposed to us ruling over our desires in God's way. Let's, uh, let's look at, as, as you look at verse 18, look at what, what, what verse 18 says. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. 19 says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps are open. And the clouds drop down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. They will be, for, they will be life for your soul and adornment for your life. And the tree of life that Adam and Eve forsook to pursue their own desires is portrayed in, in the by the brighter proverbs as the tree of as as the tree of wisdom essentially representing God's presence and God's wisdom 
That is what they forsook to pursue their own desires. But the rest of the words, the, the writer of Proverbs is, in, uh, is encouraging its re- his, his readers to remember not to put, not to trust in our own heart, not to trust in our own understanding, but to trust in God, because this is where wisdom is built. I think it's fascinating. I'm not sure about you, but I think it, it blew my mind when I connected those dots. I think it's been convicting for me, too, that we need, we need to rule, and to rule, we need wisdom. And for us to have wisdom or to become the kind of people that are wise, we have to choose God's design for our lives and not allow our own desires to rule it. And God's ways are revealed in the scriptures. He tells us who we are to become. And so when we engage with God's words, we are shaped by it as it molds us, as it changes us, as it refines us. And thus we become wise in God's eyes. Now that was a little bit of a windy road, but I hope that kind of helped paint a little bit of a picture of why when Paul writes to Timothy that the scriptures are able to make you wise, why he's asking him or reminding him of the why to continue remaining in God's word, to continue in God's word, to continue in God's word. I like how the message translation puts 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17, the, the passage that we just looked at the beginning. I'll just read to you. It'll be on the screen, I believe. It says, there's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way of salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every part of the scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, and training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. Again, as we continue in God's word, as Paul instructs Timothy, we get access to God's wisdom that's been revealed to us in the scriptures. And this will be for our own salvation because it will lead us away from a life of death. That's the first why. I'll keep the others short. The second reason, though, the second why that we see was to continue in God's word was to transform us and those around us able to transform us and those around us. This is what Paul says in verse 16, that the scriptures are useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. When we spend time reading and studying the scriptures, it acts like a mirror for our soul. It again molds us, it refines us, it points out the areas of our lives where we have excesses. You know, I, I think we, we think about, I, I've talked about this idea of spiritual disciplines before, uh, but without going into too much detail, we, the goal of every believer, what we're called to be, is to become Christ-like. That is, that is the whole pursuit of what we're up to and wh- why we are here, why we spend and sacrifice so much time to grow spiritually. It's because so that we may be Christ-like. And as we as, a, as believers spend time in scriptures allowing it to shape us, and then we do it as a community, then we become a community that is shaped by God's word. We become the embassy or the, uh, as people, as we become people that live in exile, but that glorify God. Imagine a group of people that have been transformed by scripture living in a community that is an embassy for God's glory. Imagine the impact of that. That is what the scriptures are promising. That is why Paul asked Timothy uh, to remain in the scriptures and asked his church to do that too. The, um, 
John sa- uh, excuse me, Jesus says in John chapter 13, 35, don't have to return to it, but I'll just mention it in 13, 35, he says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's the picture we just painted. As we are transformed, not only as, as the scriptures transform us, but as we then, are, as obedi- in obedience to the scriptures, serve and love each other, we become transformed to love one another. People that have come from different backgrounds, different financial situations, different ethnicities. What, what are we, what, what does this picture show us? It shows that w- as we love one another, people as, as that watch us know that we are loved by God and that we are his disciples. And that is why dis- at Redeemer, we have multiple opportunities for you uh, and for your family to engage in God's word. That Sunday morning or s- Sunday service or kids' classrooms, Wednesday Bible studies, life groups, these are all opportunities for us to engage with the word and allow it to transform us. That, that's the, the third reason, the third reason of why we should continue in God's word is because the Bible equips us to fulfill our calling and be fruitful. Bible, the Bible equips us to fulfill our calling and be fruitful. Now remember, uh, the first point was that the Bible gives us wisdom. The second why was the Bible transforms us. And all of this is that we may be equipped for what God called us to do. That we may, be ex- we may express the fruit that is, uh, that is generated in our lives because we are surrendered to God. When we choose to live by God's wisdom, we are transformed, like I just mentioned. It allows the fruit of the Spirit to be expressed in our lives. When we learn to forgive each other, when we learn to uh, experience joy in time of difficulty, when we learn to go through trials by trusting in God, when there is chaos around us, we, we, we are able to look to Him and experience peace. These allow us to, again, be, be faithful in the callings that we've been called to, whether it's as a parent, whether it's as a, as a teacher, whether it's uh, in whatever workplace you find yourself in. These are whatever God's called you to do, the, the Scriptures has the ability to transform you and to equip you to fulfill that calling. So those kind of are the three whys of why Paul says, ask Timothy to remain in his word so that it may make him wise into salvation, that it may transform him, and that it may equip him. Now, let's look at the how. How are we doing? Good? Hanging in there? Okay, how? So how how do we continue in God's word? The how, I think, is based on two pillars. Um, I was trying to keep the sermon... Uh, short, or I guess at uh, not to beat Shannon's time, so I'm trying to keep it short. But so I focus. I'm going to focus on two pillars: right habits and right attitudes. Those are the two pillars that I think are important for us. On the how do we continue in God's word? How do we become biblically literate? And I've talked about habits or spiritual habits a lot in, in different sermons, so I won't rehash all of that here. But there are some key habits that believers for generations and millennia have followed to become biblical literate. Okay? There is no hope for us as believers in the modern age without practicing these habits. We have to, I think uh, in, in the name of grace, in the name of not sure how obedience works with grace, I think we've abandoned every good practice that the church has historically practiced. And I think the first one begins with Reading or listening to your Bible and studying your Bible. Reading or listening and studying your Bible. So reading your Bible is just 
again, making sure that you're regularly interacting with the Word of God and that it, you're engaging with it and that it is, it is engaging with you, that you are, it is in front of your mind. It is the main way that we can ensure that we are being shaped by God's Word. It's hard to be shaped by the Scriptures when you don't crack it open. Okay? And that's why the reading the Bible, as simple as it sounds, it's critical for us as believers. I just want to make a caveat here. Reading is different from study. Um, as you know, given my giftings, I tend to spend more time in the cross-references and the notes and the commentaries. And, and I think I, I, I remember being convicted about it and just getting a regular Bible and putting my study Bible on the shelf so that I just spend time focusing and reading on the Bible. Commentaries are good. They're helpful, but they're processed information. Okay? They are all helpful, but they're processed. And I think what, uh, what God has given us as believers is this Word of God. It's for us to just read through it, continue to read through it. Um, the other thing, I, I also uh, recommend listening. Uh, for, for generations, the Bible was passed down in an oral tradition. You know, this, this kind of packaged book is maybe 200 years old, maybe a little bit longer than that. It's not that old. So historically, the church has listened to the Word of God being read. And, and uh, processing it through and engaging it with it. So if you have a long commute, like, I, like me, put it on, uh, play your audio Bible, and let, listen to it. Let it continue to uh, wash over you. Let it continue to shape you. Um, how often should you read? Well, so I know the... Oh, I'm going to get in trouble here, but the, the standard uh, recommendation, try to read every day, even if it's five minutes. I'm not... I, I've, Try that and don't find it useful. And some of you may find it useful, and that's keep doing it if it has. I find it better to f dedicate some time, a, a lengthy period of time, whether it's an hour or two hours, on, on the weekend to do, to do my Bible reading. That way I am getting a, a significant portion of the Bible and interacting with it as opposed to trying to rush myself and reading five minutes and getting to work and forgetting what I read and then do, keep, keep doing that and just saying, well, at least I checked the box of reading the Bible. Again, this is not for, to impress God. The Bible reading plan is not to impress God. It is for your own righteousness, for your own wisdom. God has given these beautiful, uh, his beautiful letter to us so that we may be shaped, uh, shaped into his image. Uh, most of you are familiar with one-year reading plans. Again, if you have not, again, if you're looking for a structured way of reading, I recommend the uh, reading plans that are out there. I know there's a ton. There's the chronological, there's one-year reading plan, six-month reading plan, six-weeks reading plan. The resources are endless, but I would recommend pick one and start reading. And even if it's not a reading plan, just pick a book and read. Another discipline that I have found helpful is to uh, practice focused reading or meditative reading, as I call it. And basically, I just pick a book and I just read it repeatedly over a period of time. So recently, I've been doing First Timothy I read the six chapters of 1 Timothy every day for three months. It gets boring, so I pick a different version, and I read that, or I listen to it, or I listen and read. And it helps me continue to let that same passage be repeated in my mind to a point where I am able to memorize it or at least recall it. So, again, if that's something that you have not tried or would like to try, I would recommend it. Again, I encourage reading different versions of, the, of scriptures. A lot of times when you read different versions, different things click. Uh, different different uh, things click as, uh, or jump out from the passage. I would say 
read it aloud in your house. Or ask your kids to read it if they're able to read. Let them see you modeling reading the Bible. Let them watch you do it. And all these are great ways to develop a habit of reading the Bible. As sacred time, second habit I want to mention is scripture memorization. And scripture memorization is, again, another way that historically the church has uh, ingested scripture so that it shows up in time of need. Okay? Whether it's in time of sickness, whether it's time of trials, whether it's time of tribulation, whether it's time of difficulties, whether it's time in financial struggles, whether it's in time of a parenting struggle, whatever it is, being able to memorize scripture has a huge benefit and, uh, in, in the way that it impacts you. It continues to make sure that you're able to meditate on it. If there's, again, nothing to meditate on, Netflix will take its place. So scripture memorization is a great substitute. Um, if you, if you, if you um, I found it helpful in my own seasons of life when I've experienced drought, spiritual drought, when I'm not able to connect with God, just reciting the verses that I'm able to look at. It doesn't mean you need to, you know, uh, say it perfectly, remember it exactly, but just engaging with it, you know. The goal is not to, again, to know, memorize the entire Bible before you leave earth, but it is to engage with it so that you are able to draw the benefits from it. Colossians 3 if, uh, is a great passage to start with if, you, uh, if you're looking at um, a passage to start with. Uh, John 1 is, uh, is, is a popular one um, that I've, I found beneficial. Again, start somewhere and start memorizing these because I think it makes a huge impact. So those are the two habits I want to kind of talk about uh, reading or listening to the Bible and studying it and um, memorization. Again, I mentioned the studying por portion of it. We have lots of opportunities here uh, at Redeemer, but also even outside where you get to uh, study the scriptures, whether it's on a topical basis or in passages. So I would encourage you to take advantage of these. Continue to make it a core value for you because, again, the reason we teach on these is because we believe it is important for our lives as believers. Okay, three attitudes that will help us in this journey. First is prioritize biblical literacy. Okay, prioritize biblical literacy. You and you alone are responsible for how literate you are about the Bible. Not me, not Shannon, not your youth leader, not your life group leader, not your pastor, you. We have to take ownership. There is no substitute for that. If you're a husband or a father, you are responsible for how you engage with scripture at your house. Even if it's showing up, we're going to Bible study, or we are going to, the, we are going to spend time uh, going to life group to uh, engage with the scriptures, or learning the scriptures or reading the scriptures with other believers. You, uh, you are responsible for that, ensuring that your family is fed regularly, whether at home or one of these settings, settings that I just mentioned. As parents, we need to teach our children to make, a, make it a habit to go to the scriptures. Okay? As they get older and it is appropriate, and they ask you questions, it's like, let's look at it from the scriptures. I can give you process information. I can tell you how I think about it. But let's read the scriptures so that, it again, you're not hoping that they're able to come to a conclusion or an answer right away. But rather, you're teaching them what? The habit or building the attitude of learning to interact with the scriptures and trusting it and for the wisdom that it has in its in, 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 in contained in itself. Teach and model good, uh, good habits of reading and studying your Bible. 
Um, I remember, um, I lost my dad early on, but I still remember very distinctly how uh, my dad and my mom spent time reading and uh, studying the Bible. I distinctly remember it. I didn't think it was useful for me at the time, but I still remember it. And I pursued that. I, I, I'm not doing a good job, but I'm failing right at it right now. But it is the image. I have, I have this model in my mind that I'm working towards because I have seen it modeled well in my own, uh, in my own, by my own parents. And I would trust as parents that we do the same thing for our own children so that they are able to recognize what it means to have the right attitude as you uh, engage with Scripture. Um, talking to the students, as you mature, you need to look and learn and step up and start making it a priority. You need to start saying that this is a priority for me. Okay. At some point, um, the ready-made wisdom that you have from your parents and your youth leader is going to end. Okay. You're going to find yourself, whether your parents nudge you out or kick you out or whatever the circumstances is, you'll find yourself looking at the world in all of its glory and ugliness. And you are going to desperately need wisdom to navigate that world. As you make, I, I remember being in, in that season of life as I, uh, as kind of figuring out what colleges, you know, where do I need to go? What majors? What is God calling me to? And then even post that, you know, how do I handle uh, you know, how do, who do I get married to? All of these decisions that are so focused over the next, that you have to make over the next 10 or so years, you're not going to have your parents or your youth leader right next to you. So it is important and critical that you start building the muscles and the attitudes to prioritize scriptures. Um, I remember thinking to myself, uh, again, learning from my own, you know, mistakes, um, I think I heard somebody once say, you know, as when kids, when uh, children turn 22, they suddenly realize that their parents have become smart, you know? Um, and I think it's the same thing with the scriptures, right? While we, as students, might think that you're smarter and that you know what you need to do, let me tell you, the moment you crack open the Bible, you will quickly find out what people that thought they were smarter than God uh, made decisions and the impact on, it had on them. I mean, this is the story throughout the pattern that we just looked at. You know, life is easy for us under, under your parents' roof. But pretty soon that will be over. And so check your worldview. Check your view of reality. Check your foundation. Do you have a habit where you're reading the Bible or memorizing it? The second attitude is approach the Bible with humility. I'm almost done. Uh, approach the Bible with humility. Again, there's two temptations that we have to fight against as we get more biblically literate. One is apathy. Is well, I know what this talks about. We, we all know people that know a lot about the Bible but have had no impact on their character or it hasn't made an impact uh, in their relationship with Jesus. And second is pride. You know, pride is a, is, a, is, a, is a temptation that we have to fight against. I am constantly reminded about how the scribes and the Pharisees in the Bible, how they were simultaneously the most biblically literate and the, the group that hated Jesus the most. I mean, this is mind-blowing to me. Uh, and to think that we are somehow exempt from it is, is foolish. We can fall into that same, same uh, temptation where our biblical knowledge can shield us from Jesus, supposed to bring us closer to Jesus. So our goal with biblical literacy is not to build a Pharisee, but rather to make a disciple. 
right? We were actually working through programs here. This is what we're wrestling with as elders. It's like, how do we ensure that at the end of this discipleship program, we have a disciple and not a Pharisee? Right? Somebody who uh, could have gotten that from seminary, somewhere, somebody where they would have gotten the head knowledge, but not the character development. I'd one, how do we approach it with humility? How do we approach the Bible with humility? One, I think we need to remind ourselves that all of the Bible is relevant to us. That all of the Bible is relevant to us. I remember, um, you know, uh, sitting in a uh, Bible study a couple of weeks ago. It might have been a couple, couple of months now. Uh, on Sunday morning. And, the, and Steve was going over hell. Now the topic of hell. And I found myself quickly, ch uh, slightly checking out because I'm like, well, I'm a believer. I'm not going to hell. I don't think this is relevant to me. Right? Have you found yourself in that? Like, it's like, well, I don't think this is relevant to me. So I'm going to, you know, theorize about what this is. The Holy Spirit whispered uh, this, this, this point that I just mentioned, that the Bible is fully relevant to you. So instead of interpreting it away that this is not for me, it's asking the question, how am I creating hell on earth for the people that I live with? I mean, that's what the scripture wants me to evaluate. Not hell is about for unbelievers, but rather what is this, again, this is for us as believers. How does this impact, how should this speak into my own lives? Where are the areas of my own life that I need to evaluate as I read the scriptures? Another topic, another example that comes to mind is false doctrine, right? What do we think when we think about false doctrine or the topic of false doctrine comes up? Right? We think Joel Osteen. Or we think Stephen Furtick. Because those are the people that need to hear this teaching. I beg to differ. I beg to differ. The question that we need to be asking when we hear these teachings is, how is this applicable to me? How is this going to impact me? And if, if when I mentioned false doctrine, um, you, you, again, had the reaction of, like, but I don't believe any false doctrine. That is claiming that you're infallible. And uh, I hate to break it to you, but even, not, even the Pope is not infallible as much as they believe that. So clearly we're not infallible. We all believe lies. We all believe because we're sinners. We live in a fallen world. And this is why the, as we interact with the scriptures, the scriptures will point that out to us. As we do it in community, our uh, believers around us will point it to us. It will shape us. It will continue to mold us. So it's important that we don't explain the Bible away or interpret it away. But remember, have the attitude, that, attitude of humility that the entire Bible is relevant to me. That as it's speaking, as I sit under teaching, that I don't explain it away. Okay, last thing. Uh, not confusing doctrinal competency for biblical literacy. This is for the theologians among us. Sometimes I think we know more about our doctrines than we know about the Bible. Again, doctrines are important. It's critical. But they're, again, they're processed information. We t it's taking the entire themes of the Bible and summarizing it as for us as a shorthand. And that's good. That's helpful. That's healthy. We need to understand what doctrines in, uh, inform us. But they're not the same thing as reading the Bible. They're not the same as interacting with the scriptures. So we shouldn't confuse the two. I know I have favorite pastors. I know all of us do. But remember, they're fallible too. Remember that they, we don't take their word as the scripture. I think we fall into this temptation again to cling 
into our own favorite pastors, our own lenses, our own denominational lenses, our own systematics, our favorite theologians. But the moment as we, we come with those lenses and the scripture contradicts it, we have to evaluate that. That is the appropriate, uh, appropriate um, attitude that we need as we approach scripture. Not explain it away, not to interpret it away, but ask Holy Spirit, give you insight. Different here. How? How to become biblical? Study scripture, studying biblical literature, approaching it with humility, for consistency. Now, as the band comes up uh, and we kind of kind of close out today, I want to. Just kind of leave a word of encouragement. Remember, the Holy Spirit is with you as you walk this journey. Okay? Sometimes I think people wait. It's like, when I get inspiration from the Holy Spirit, I'm going to open my Bible. No, the Holy Spirit is waiting for you to open the Bible. You are not waiting for the Holy Spirit. And, and don't expect it to understand all of it right away. I remember hearing an analogy that I think was helpful. You know, I remember, um, I don't remember a lot of the meals I've eaten but I can tell for sure they've all nourished me, right? You don't have to remember every time you read everything that you read, but remember it, uh, the, the scriptures, just like the meals you eat, nourish you and nurture you and refine you. And it's important that there's a steady diet of that in our lives. And again, don't expect it to have it all figured out next week, and, but start implementing it. Some of the things that we just talked about, some of the hows. Take advantage of some of the opportunities that we have here. Um, and perseverance is necessary, and we need to prioritize making it a habit. That is the only way that we can confidently say that this is a core value as, as believers here at Redeemer. Good? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together as we kind of looked at this core value of uh, being biblically illiterate. I know it was convicting to me and kind of processing this with our own families. I, I know that this is something that I need to grow in. We need to grow in as a family, but I know that there's multiple, f uh, all of us can grow in this area, Father. We rely heavily on our own experiences, our own desires to drive the priorities of our lives, but thank you for reminding us that your word needs to be that direction, that rudder that helps us prioritize, that forms us, that molds us, that directs us in the way we must go so that we can experience the life that the psalmist talks about in Psalm 1, about being rooted and being firmly planted, being fruitful, having abundance, that we may serve the people around us, that we may love them, that we may confess our own sins, that we may see our shortcomings and not uh, justify it or hide from it, that our sins may um, be, con be, be brought to you for forgiveness. I pray that you continue to let your word speak into our hearts as we go through this week. It bear much fruit that we take the next step, that we don't try to impress you with our uh, reading plan or, or how much we read, but rather that we see this as a way that, uh, a way of you interacting with us. We know that you long to speak to us through your word. Help us to prioritize that in our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name. If you have questions about the sermon, I'll be at the back, but please send us the band leads us. In.